You're listening to Thrive, where every week we have meaningful conversations with incredible women like you, packed with practical tips and sisterly advice to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday gal who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. I'm your host, Erica Gwynn, and I'm ready to thrive together. Here's today's episode. Hey friends, you know those friends who you can always count on to do the right thing? To speak up for what matters most? To be there with tough love, but an encouraging heart to champion you through the best and worst of this beautiful, hard, wild gift of a life. Manda Carpenter is the gal we all want in our corner and the gal we all need in the world today. As an outspoken yet grace-filled advocate online and off, she's been championing underdogs and giving a voice to the voiceless for years as everything from an author and podcaster to foster mom. We're getting real and raw on Thrive today in a candid conversation on internet trolls, soul care, and chocolate chip cookies. She gives especially great advice on getting thick-skinned while staying soft-hearted, responding courageously but graciously to would-be haters, and choosing curiosity over conclusions when navigating other opinions online and off. Stay tuned through this episode. Drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to. And now, welcome, Amanda. Thanks for having me. So excited we get to do this. I know. Right off the bat, we're both po- we're both podcasters and authors. We're both introverts and homebodies. We're both Jesus lovers, and we're both about to have our second babies. And we both call our husbands by their first initial, which is a super fun fact, I feel like. <laughs> that is. Wow. We've got a lot in common. Yeah. <laughs> right? But I know you, I have to ask you this. You are a cookie-holic, which is very important for everybody to know, obviously. Yes. So what is your favorite kind of cookie of all time? I I mean, at the risk of sounding really boring, it's a classic chocolate chip cookie. However, if they're going to be homemade, I have to add in a pack of packet of vanilla pudding. You don't make the pudding, but you just add the packet. It's like my secret ingredient. It's so good. It's That's so, so, so good. Smart. Does it almost give it? I guess that makes it super moist, right? And gives it like super moist. Yes. It's mm. so they're so good. And my husband's not a sweets guy and he loves them. So I feel like that is saying something too. Those have been my go-to to to for the recipe. I'll have to like yeah. beg you for the recipe to put in the show notes for everybody, because this sounds, this is like a big deal. Cause you're like a big cookie girl. I am a big cookie person. Yes. No, I will happily share the recipe because it is not mine. I asked permission to share it publicly once I got a hold of it because I was like, everyone needs to know about this. And also I can't be the only one eating cookies because everyone else needs to eat them and gain the weight alongside me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's been a pregnancy thing or what, but my latest thing has been, and mind you, I don't even buy Oreos for my house, but somehow I ended up with Oreos and discovered that if you dip the Oreos in Cool Whip, it really does something extra, like Elevates. absolutely zero health quality in any of that decision. Mm-hmm. But man, that gives it like a little something extra where like suddenly I'm an Oreo girl now, if it, if it's dipped in Cool Whip. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, if it makes <laughs> you feel any better, I feel like I grew my first biological baby on Oreos and sour gummy worms. So I'm like, how does God take the whatever from this crap that I was eating 
and turn it into this beautiful baby boy. I just, I can't make sense of it. I've actually done a lot better this pregnancy with eating healthy, but I think it's just the difference. Like this one's a girl. And so I just crave different things. Like I'm not craving sweets the way that I did with my boy. Yeah. It's funny. He's probably like, really, Manda? Like, this is what you've given me? Gummy worms and Oreos? Okay. I'll still, I'll still make the organs grow here, but I know it's wild. <laughs> if throw is... a carrot in the mix here for some developmental value. <laughs> I know. And wildly, this is the same little boy who he's now two and he like lives off of cucumbers and avocado and just like the healthiest diet. And I'm like, this is amazing. So I guess what I ate didn't actually impact his taste buds because he craves all the healthy things. Like we actually put a cupcake in front of him when we were trying to do a, um, a sex reveal for, to find out what this baby would be. And he wouldn't bite into it. And inside it had the blue or the pink frosting. And we were like dying and we were like, gosh, we should have just had them like inject the blue or the pink frosting into a cucumber because Shia would have eaten that up. So it's, it's hilarious, but yeah, that's funny. What I'm getting out of this is if we eat junk food and whatever our hearts desire during pregnancy, it will make non-picky eaters who eat vegetables in toddlerhood, which sounds great. Perhaps it has worked out that way for me, <laughs> but you know, I am not a medical professional, so we'll just, we'll <laughs> let people do their own to research. chime in here. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's awesome. Well, tell us more about you besides cookie loving and all of the other random fun stuff we just mentioned. Tell us about Amanda as a mom, as a creator, uh, just kind of who you are behind the scenes. Sure. Yeah. I, um, I married my husband eight years ago. We have been foster parents since 2017. So that was actually our introduction to parenting. Um, we've had now a total of 17 kids come through our care. Some of those were in sibling sets. So like there weren't 17 different placements, but in, in terms of the number of children, um, 16 of which came before we ever had bio kids. And, um, then we had Shia who's two and now we're pregnant with a little girl and we recently had a teen in our care. So as far as the parenting journey goes, it's been, um, wild and such an adventure and not that there's anything wrong with this, but I think the assumption is maybe that we struggled with infertility and that's what led us to foster. And it's just, it's just not true. That's not our story. Um, foster parenting was always plan a for us. Uh, in fact, I never thought I wanted to have biological kids. And so that was like a huge shift when we finally were like, okay, maybe we should stop preventing and try. So anyway, that's a little bit of that. Um, I used to be a teacher, so I was a public school teacher. That's in my background. And I'm now a writer, a speaker, and an advocate. So uh, you mentioned it. We've both written books. So I had a book come out last August called Soul Care to Save Your Life. Um, and it's really just all the hard lessons I learned from my 20s and this spiritual journey that I have been on and continue to be on and growing and evolving. So it's where I share all of the mistakes I've made. I'm, I consider myself a professional mistake maker. I should also add, I'm a professional at getting back up when I get knocked down. So, um, there's that, That's important. But, <laughs> but yeah, we, we live in LA and we're really passionate about our community and building longer tables rather than higher fences. So I don't know, that's maybe a quick snapshot of, of me. I love that. Well, and it also segues into your super cool podcast, a longer table podcast. So that is my podcast. Thanks. Shout out to that. Thank <laughs> but what you. I've, of course. What I've always loved so much about you though, is that you never shy away from like real conversations. You talk about Jesus, but you also talk about sex, 
and prison reform and parenting and foster care and race and all sorts of real life things that really simply can't be separated from the reality of being a Christian in the world today, which I think Mm -hmm. is really cool and kudos to you because it's, it's like you open the door and have a platform that gives people permission to have these deeper discussions and important discussions uh, without sugarcoating things or needing to like put on a certain front or a certain face. Were you always so open about deeper topics Mm. on the internet? Or like, do you think that that has evolved for you since you first started sharing content online? Yeah. Love that question. I think I've always been this way, like on and offline. I think it's just who I am. Um, if people are into the Enneagram, I identify as an Enneagram eight, which is the challenger. I tend to not shy away from speaking my mind or confronting hard things. In fact, conflict pretty much energizes me. So I've had to rein that in (laughs) and find a healthy balance because sometimes I, I think, um, yeah, I would just say that in my journey towards becoming the healthiest version of myself, spiritually, personally, emotionally, mentally, all the things, um, you know, it's not always best to like try to provoke people or poke the bear. And I would definitely do that in the past, um, if I'm honest. So, so yeah, I think that comes really natural to me. Like my heart is wired for justice and really wanting people to wake up and have ears for what they're not hearing or see things. Because I really believe that once you see something, you can't unsee it. Once you hear something, you can't hear it. Once you know something, you can't unknow it. So therefore it should propel you to do something. And that's something I'm really passionate about. So I, yeah, safe to say I've probably always been this way. And my mom would probably tell you I was like this as a child. In fact, I know she would. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome though, because it kind of makes you like the ideal social worker on the internet today because you're like trolls. I've let me at them. Like, (laughs) you know, yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes it does get to me though. I think that's the thing is like, I don't want to pretend or put on a facade that it doesn't like hurt my feelings ever, or it doesn't get old or that I haven't cried because of something someone said to me on the internet. But yeah, I, I think that I have developed thicker skin and the, the hardest part is just how do you develop thick skin while remaining soft hearted? That's Ooh. where I think that's been the work for me is how do I not become jaded? How do I respond to hate with grace? And um, so continually learning, navigating that. But yeah, I've always been a fan of, I will I will voluntarily be the person who asks the question that everyone's thinking, but no one wants to ask, or who says the thing that everyone's thinking, but no one wants to say. So I will gladly own that position. That's fine with me. You know, that's, that's how God made me. So. Yeah. Okay. Well now I have to know what have you learned along the way in terms of responding with grace? And like you said, so beautifully, um, not becoming jaded and bitter and staying soft-hearted while being thick skinned in this world. Because I think that is such a, such an important position for us all to be able to get to, or try to get to over the course of, uh, existing in this like weird online space that we're all in. But it can be so difficult, especially for those of us who are not naturally like an Enneagram A, naturally kind of have that spirit of challenging things up against them. I feel like it can be really easy to let it all get to you and kind of cower backwards in fear or just become really salty about how, you know, all of the 
all of the uh, sassy Susans of the world. (laughs) Yes. Yes, totally. Yeah. You know, it's hard and I don't do it perfectly, but some things I've learned along the way, um, there's, there's one mantra that I really aim to live by and that's choose curiosity over conclusions. And I love that. Yeah. I learned it from my church in Chicago. So shout out soul city church where the pastors taught me that it was a core value. I was on staff there and I, that has been really helpful in changing the way I approach people and in the way that, um, yeah, in a lot of ways. So, so what I mean by that, choose curiosity over conclusion. So Erica, it would be really easy for me to follow you on social media and to write all of these stories about you. Like, oh, she's putting this out there because she thinks she's all that, or, oh, she, I don't know. Like, I don't think that of you, by the way, I'm just riffing here, (laughs) but you know, it's easy, especially online. We do this in person, but the online world is like a whole different beast. Right. And it perpetuates things that are harmful. And we write these stories about people that we don't even know. Sometimes our perception of someone is spot on, but a lot of times it's not. Let's be honest. Most of the time it's not. And so I can either write these stories and have these conclusions and decide this is what I think about this person. And this is why they're doing this thing, even though I can't actually know what is motivating anyone to do or say or post any of what they're doing and saying and posting, or I can choose to be curious. So if someone shares something online that really irks me or rubs me the wrong way, or just kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth, I can either approach them with that conclusion, like, Hey, saw you did this. Didn't like it. Blah, blah, blah. I can sort of be the troll. Hopefully I would never do that. But, um, but if I am, if I do feel so inclined to approach this person about this thing, the best approach is to approach with curiosity. Hey, I saw that you posted that. Can you tell me a little bit about why you shared that? I would, I'm just curious, you know, and, and not in a fake way. Like I don't, even my tone shifted there, but, but that's not fake. That's coming at someone, um, with a posture of genuine curiosity, giving them a chance to speak for themselves because you don't always know, um, what's going on behind the scenes for that person. This also comes into play in my real everyday life. Um, so offline, a friend could, uh, we could be hanging out. Something could be said. And instead of being like, oh, you, you really voted that way. Like, and being sort of disgusted by it. I can say, oh, tell me a little bit more about why, why did you vote for that candidate? Like what policies are you, what are you hoping, you know, that, they bring that this other candidate doesn't, I don't know. So you get the idea, right? It's pretty self-explanatory, but choose curiosity over conclusion. It is so helpful. And then on the flip side of that, what I will say really quickly is that I've been able to really teach that to people by one, trying to model it publicly. And two, um, I got an, I got an email just earlier this week and this person has not read my book, soul care to save your life, but they have heard me on podcasts and, um, this this gentleman wanted to tell me in a not so gentle way that hey love love what you're doing i think it's really cool that you were a foster parent he had complimented me which was you know great nice but then he's like but by the way this is how you come across in your interviews and you should stop doing that and um there was more detail i'll leave out and I, I was so intrigued by this. Um, some people would say, Amanda, why do you even engage? Why do you even take the time to email back again to know me is to know I can't let it go. So I had to respond. 
And the first draft I wrote, thank God I didn't send it because it wasn't super kind. <laughs> so I always, I always try to not react, but respond, right? Yes. There's such a difference. And so when I finally came back to the draft, I tweaked it to be a response instead of a reaction to being hurt because it was prickly. And I said to him, I would have loved and really appreciated if you had taken the approach of being curious instead of drawing this conclusion. Let me tell you why I share this story the way that I do and what my heart is behind it. And anyways, all that to say, he came back and was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Thank you for teaching me that. That's such a beautiful way to live. And I'm going to take that and use it. And now, and then he was like, by the way, you just sold a book. And he was like, I bought your book. It was like the coolest thing. So that's awesome. It is amazing what grace and kindness and gentleness and just a simple posture of curiosity will do for your relationships in your everyday ordinary life and online. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. It makes me think of this every time we see people trolling online as they do. And I had a similar interaction with someone um, a week or two ago where I had a brand boosting one of my posts, (laughs) which, you know, that's often where the trolls will come out is like, when they forget that there's a real person behind content they're seeing online or from a brand or whoever. And I had, it was for a bra company. So like very tasteful content, but it was early on in my stage in pregnancy. And I was just, it was a clip of me sharing about why I love this seamless wireless bra situation, no gaping, no pulling, pinching, whatever, super simple, 15 seconds of content and had someone comment saying something along the lines of, uh, well, you're a skinny bish, B-I-S-H. Mm-hmm. Um, so they should really use people who are more realistic for the majority of us. And I'm, I'm not an Enneagram eight like you, but like, I still, I'm at the point though, where I'm like, all right, we'll have, we're going to have a dialogue on this because if you're coming at me publicly, I'm going to take this as an opportunity to, show some grace, but also shine light on like why it's not okay to say everything that you just said. Uh, mm-hmm. And I said something back, something along the lines of like, hey, I just want to put this out there that like, I am actually a real person. Hi, hello, it's me. Um, And just like you wouldn't want someone calling someone else a quote, fat bish, end quote, on the internet, same goes for calling someone skinny, To say that it's unrealistic is implying that I'm not real. And I am, I'm sitting right here. I said, you have no idea what sort of fitness, health, or wellness journey I have been on in my life or what, what anything that got me to looking the way that I do now. Um, and, (laughs) and I said, if I were to, uh, judge you by the fact that you have gray hair in your profile picture, I would assume that you're old enough to know that if you can't say something kind to say, maybe don't say anything at all. Because to say that I'm now also not like the majority of women is also an isolating statement. Right. So I said, like, with all due respect here, it's better. This is, you should just not comment if that's like the comment you're going to. And she didn't respond, but I was like, you know what? Hey, I need that out there for people to see because it's like people will say whatever they want to online. But if you can kind of kindly correct them, just to, even if it's just shut, holding up a mirror to be like, This is how this is coming across. And like, maybe you don't want to be the troll of the internet. So I'm going to give you the grace to assume that that's not your intention and that you're just speaking your mind, but it might be coming across in a way that's like 
not helping other people who are also seeing this comment. So I think, I think you hit the nail on the head where like, there's a way to do it where you're giving people grace, but also kindly correcting like, Hey, language you're using, like might be really inflammatory and uncool. Please don't say that forever. But like, yeah, it's a, it's important. I, I feel like sometimes you're absolutely right. We're like, it's worth taking a couple extra seconds to give people feedback like that because maybe they don't intend to come across that way or want that to be how people see them online. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. And honestly, maybe they've never had someone brave enough or willing enough to correct them. And they've pushed a lot of people away and lost a lot of friendships and had relational turnover because of their, uh, the way they say things or whatnot. And so to me, it's like, if done correctly in the same way for me personally, I welcome feedback, Yeah, especially if it's done correctly, especially yeah. if it's from someone who has some relational equity with me, then absolutely. I invite you to speak into my life. I, I, that is, that is how we learn. I mean, I don't think any of us are, uh, too cool or above feedback and learning and, and some healthy criticism. And so yeah, I I honestly do it in that way as best I can because I would want the same thing done for me. It makes us better. So, yeah, hopefully that woman learned, read your comment and <laughs> kept her mouth closed. <laughs> even if but I think though even if the the target doesn't respond or whatever, it's like you just never know who else is going to see content online. And we've learned that the hard way I feel like over the years with how many like you said, like there's just such a filtered or curated or fragmented view of everything that we end up seeing, but it still can have such an intense impact on people's lives, on their views of themselves, on their views of society or other people. So like, you just never know. So maybe, maybe that woman didn't see my comment, but maybe somebody else did. And then maybe they thought twice before they posted a similar content, a similar comment elsewhere or like you know it's just like different things like that where you just if you can put it out there especially if it is on such a public platform you just never know the there's so many people who are just silent followers or silent users on the internet where right. like maybe it would help them too and if, for me I'm like all right I think that's I think that's worth it yeah totally no I agree if there's friends listening in who they have hearts full of thoughts they care on important topics but maybe they are still afraid to put themselves out there. They're not the Enneagram AIDS. They are still like fearful of trolls and or and or just have absolutely no idea how to actually go about responding instead of reacting and like filtering, all right, what's the right way to do this versus what's not? What would you tell them? Or like, what advice would you give them to get a little bit more comfortable engaging in what might initially feel like a really awkward or uncomfortable dialogue online or something that's just like really stressful and makes you want to itch, (laughs) but something that could ultimately be fruitful. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think my biggest advice would be be the same person online that you are offline. So if you're not the type of person who's going to challenge an opinion face-to-face, don't be that person on the internet. If you're, um, if you're not the person who's going to advocate hard for something, uh, in the real life, in your real life, um, then don't post about it. Um, I think for me, I, I am, I'm going away from your question a little bit, but this is where my heart is at. 
yeah. Two, two thoughts that come to mind. One, if we want to be good advocates in anything, whether that's the health and wellness space, whether that's child welfare, whether that's an advocate for racial justice, anything, name, whatever. If you want to be a good advocate, be louder about what you are for versus what you're against. I'm not saying there's not a time or a place to speak out against something, but I just think so many people, for example, I'm going to name a specific example. I'm not even going to get into my whole thoughts on it because that will derail this whole conversation and then I'll need two hours. But I just saw so many people that were like anti-target, anti-target, anti-target recently with some stuff. And I am, again, not going to say my thoughts right now. I would have loved for people to be less about what they're against and just a little louder about what they're for. What are you for? Where do you want to shop? What do you want to support? What is your heart behind what you're posting? Um, because I think this loud anti-boycotting trend that we see happening, and that's not the only one, there's been many, I think it's just perpetuating cancel culture, which I have more thoughts about for another day. But so my tip would be really if you're going to advocate for something or someone or people group or whatever, be louder about what, what it is you're for versus what you're against. I think that's just such a more effective tool for advocacy. If you really want to see change, if you don't actually care about change and you just want to make noise on the internet, cool. Be all about what you're against. I don't think it's going to get you super far. The second thought that I, that I was having, um, about this Erica is, when we're communicating online specifically, we, we can't interpret tone. We don't know each other, especially when it's with a stranger, you don't know their background. People are coming at different things from very different life experiences and perspectives. And so assume nothing about the person on the other side of the screen, be kinder than you think you need to be. Um, give grace, give the benefit of the doubt allow them the opportunity to explain by getting curious, going back to that same point. Um, and, and truly this is something where the more you practice it, the more natural it will become. And the more you will notice when people aren't doing that same thing for you, which is hard, but then you get to model it. Um, like I said, I will often respond to things saying, you know, I, I would have loved for you to just ask me from a place of curiosity, but since, since you brought it up, I'd love to just share a little bit about my why behind this you know, when, when there's like something like an attack coming at me, but yeah. I, does that answer the question really? For sure. For sure. That's also a really good point to add into the conversation though, about tone, especially online. And I've seen that happen too. I'm sure you have also like the rare one time I had a real go viral on Instagram and the amount of people that were commenting in response to me, not liking my tone in responses to people who were actually trolling me. And they were all assuming that I was being like really snarky in my responses back. And I was like, actually, guys, I'm I'm not. I'm just pointing out. I'm like honestly, genuinely pointing out what was being said or why it might be incorrect. Like it was about a product. So I was sharing actual product information with people or pointing them in the right direction. And everyone was assuming, oh, you're just trying to make money and you're being snarky back to all these people and you're just being a sassy Christian. And I was truly flabbergasted. I was like, I'm sorry. I get that you're you're not actually like in this community to know me and like know my heart, but I, it's totally not that. I'm literally just sharing with people where they can <laughs> this 
answering a question simply. Like they interpreted it with the same snark. I don't know if it might've been maybe people interpreting things based on how they would be in the situation if they were fielding a comment the same way that I was. I think sometimes people like approach it with the lens that they look through instead of seeing the other side. But that was a very consistent occurrence where it was like people judging on tone and people assuming that they knew what tone you were speaking in. And like, you can really have a full conversation with strangers on the internet, both of you in different tones in your heads. And like, it changes the entire context of the entire conversation when that happens. Right. And to your point, as much as I love the internet, that's why I kind of continuously bring this whole thing back to your everyday real life, because I also believe there's a point via email, text, DMs, comments online to where I have, I will often say, you know, we don't know each other. We, we aren't able to sit down face to face. So this conversation is only going to be so productive and that's not a scapegoat or like a a way out of a difficult conversation that like you should just use all the time. But it's true. Like if somebody's going back and forth with me because I said that um, I want police brutality to stop and they're like, but my husband's a cop. And I'm like, I didn't say I hate cops. When did I ever like, you know, it's like, I just, anyways, you get my point. Um, It doesn't, it's not helpful to like be screaming at each other. And so sometimes I just have to say, I think what you're hearing me say is this. And I just want to clarify, it's not what I'm saying. This is all I'm saying. Um, please don't read between the lines because there aren't lines to read between like what I'm saying is what I actually mean. And then I will some basically wrap it up and just say, Hey, we're, we don't know each other. We don't live in community with one another. We don't see each other face to face. So there's just really nothing left for us to discuss this. This conversation isn't really productive and, and that's where it ends because a lot of times we have lives to go back to. I don't know if you feel this way, Erica, but like I have had to have some really strict, hard boundaries with social media, because if I am playing with my son Shia, when he gets home from daycare, but I also have my phone with me, which now I don't even do that. I have a device that we put our phones in, but, um, before I would have my phone and, and let's say it would ping and it's a DM that somebody like was mad about something that creates such emotional whiplash. And suddenly I'm in a bad mood when I should just be playing with my toddler. And then I laughed yeah. out at my husband because he asked me a simple question, but I'm too busy DMing this person back. I'm all angry. I don't know if that sounds familiar at all, but at my worst moments, or when I look back, like those are the things that like, I don't need to invite that into my house. And so in the same way, that nobody can just show up at my front door and tell me all the things they don't like about me. I'm not just going to allow my phone to notify me every time someone either wants to praise me or tear me down in my DMS, you know, like there has to be boundaries around that. And so I have put a lot of measures in place so that I kind of, you know, I only open my DMS a certain number of times per day. And when I'm opening them, it's to sit and respond. And then I'm off of it. And I'm prepared for that emotional whiplash of one's going to be like, I love you. Thanks for saying this. And the next one's going to be like, I hate you. Why did you say that? (laughs) So yeah, that's, I don't know if that's helpful for anyone because I think obviously it's very relevant to people like us who are creatives and put things out there and live very publicly. But I think it's also really helpful for, for all of us. Um, even if you're not getting those like kinds of DMS, what boundaries might be helpful to put in place so that you can just cultivate a healthier life where you thrive and your family is not, you know, experiencing a worse version of you because of some stranger or someone that you've engaged with on the internet. Oh yeah. 
I don't have notifications come to my phone for any social media platform. Yep. The only notifications I that I come too. in. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know how people do have them come in, especially if they do have bigger accounts or anything. I'm like, the only notifications I'm getting are text messages from, so like uh, friends and family and phone calls coming in. And otherwise I don't want notifications. Cause like you said, you need those boundaries in place for the health of your family, your other relationships, your work, your mental health, your sanity, all of the above. And if you can set clear guidelines on this is the time when I am dedicating, like you said, I'm opening these DMs with the intention to read them and respond at the same time, not just to be curious about what's hanging out for me to answer in an hour or two. It ends up having such a profound ripple effect on how you're showing up for the people around you and also how you're showing up for the rest of your life and for yourself and eventually for those people when you do give them responses down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I want to make sure we touch on your book too, which is fabulous. So in Soul Care to Save Your Life, you walk readers through essentially a three-part journey, one being identifying habits that are holding you back to taking ownership of your own path to growth. And then number three, embracing practices of soul care for your well-being. So can we run through kind of like a Cliff Notes version together while everyone is adding it to their Amazon their Amazon court and cart and eagerly awaiting its arrival on their doorstep? Can you give us kind of like the quick rundown yeah. or a point from each category of what to expect? Yeah. Yeah. So this book is a great summer read because it really reads like a memoir. Um, so it's, you can read it by the pool and it's, yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it, but it is really broken into 15 chapters. And each of those chapters is focused on one soul care practice. Um, and what I mean by soul care is it's different than self-care. I don't tell you to go take a bubble bath, even though by all means, please take your bubble baths. Um, this is deeper. This book is about doing the internal unseen work that not only will change your life, but will benefit everyone around you. So um, so each of those chapters is a different practice that you can engage in that I invite you um, not to do one time, but to live by, to kind of have an, as part of your ongoing rhythms. And, um, like I said, another way that I often describe this book is it's all the lessons I learned in my twenties, the hard way. So I really open up about mistakes that I've made from really significant ones to some less severe, less consequential ones, but ultimately how I, uh, kind of got to the other side and what I learned through it. And so I'll, I'll go deep because we've already, as we've already said, I'm not, I don't shy away from the hard topics. So in the very first chapters, I tell the story of when I was unfaithful in my marriage. So um, it was our first year married, which sounds crazy to people, but um, something went down and I kept it a secret from my husband because I was basically immediately regretful and remorseful and felt guilty, but like thought if I told him I was going to lose him and which isn't fair to him. I'm just trying to be real about how things went down. Um, and I tell it in in greater detail in the book, but by the time that I confessed that and we navigated that, we've since now celebrated eight years of marriage. So like, we're good. We stayed together there. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, it's got a good redemption story, but, um, and I'm so grateful for him, but me telling that story, while it won't be relatable for everyone reading it, and I sure hope it's not relatable for most people reading it, what I discover at the root of why I did what I did, how I woke up one day and said, how did I get here? Why did I mess up like that? Um, 
I think there's elements to that journey that people will relate with. And so I navigate that. And the soul care practice, for example, coming out of that one um, is create a habit of confession. Another soul care practice that comes out of that one in, the, in a later chapter is dig deeper to get to the root. And I really try to teach readers what these things mean and then how, what, what, how do you actually practice this um, tangibly? So I break it down. And then each chapter also ends with reflection questions, five reflection questions, because I'm a big believer in after you've read someone's story, you've maybe read what they're trying to teach you, the lesson that they hope you take away, as I did in my book, I think it's helpful to sit and journal sometimes or just to sit and ask yourselves those questions quietly and see what comes up. And then I would take it a step further and really encourage people to read it in a book club and use those questions to share with each other um, in community, whether that's a, a lot of churches are using my book for small groups. Um, and I think that's a great way to do it. But uh, it's vulnerable. It's hard work, but it's the it's the work that matters so much. Like, I'm not sure, Erica, that there's anything that matters more than the condition of our souls, right? Yeah. Like you may have the most followers on Instagram or the, the most zeros in your, at the end of your bank statements, your bank account, you could have it all. You could have the money, the fame, this picture, perfect family, whatever it is, but you could be struggling so much inside and that could be with anything. It could be with envy and jealousy. It could be with a bad attitude. It could be with something similar to me. I was addicted to the affirmation of men. And I had to go to a lot of therapy to figure out where that came from. And why did I struggle in that way when I loved my husband? Why was I also like attracted to other people and really enjoying their attention, which obviously led to more than it was intended. But that's what happens is when we don't uh, become aware and take ownership and embark on a journey of transformation, we end up in a, in a really scary place. We end up in a really dark place, um, as I did in 2016, where you say, how the heck did I get here? Like, what have I done? And, and again, not everyone will struggle with the same things that I struggle with, but I think I've, it's been really cool to hear from readers that reach out just saying like, how they related on so many things in the book. So yeah, I could go on and on. I'm obviously a big fan, but this was like the book I didn't necessarily want to write because it was like, honestly, pretty embarrassing. Like who wants to put that out there? I didn't really want to, but it's the book that I know God called me to write and that has had a profound impact. And so I'm just trusting that. And um, it's been such a cool journey, but yeah, those 15 practices I think are, so helpful. And I would love for people to read it and tell me what they think and hopefully enjoy reading it. It's I, th I hope and pray it doesn't read like this dry self-help book because it's really story driven. So it's all these true stories, um, throughout my life and, and yeah, um, faith is a big part of it too. So especially if you identify as someone who wants to follow Jesus, I think you'll really enjoy it. Honestly, though, kudos to you for it, because like you, like, I'm sure, like you said, it was not exactly a fun thing where you were jumping up out of bed every day to be like, let me pull out my deepest, darkest secrets for the whole world to read. Like, that's obviously that's hard. And most people would not jump in and get off that diving board. <laughs> right, right. So the fact that you were willing to do so and the fact that you were that you allowed God to take 
what felt like such a big mess in your life and turn it into a message that could help thousands and thousands of other women, I think is just a really powerful thing that I'm sure made a ton of impact. Like we said earlier, this is very full circle where like people might not even be coming to you saying how much of an impact it made on them because maybe they're still at a point in their journey where they're not ready to even talk about the fact that it is something that they relate to, but they still were able to read it and get something from it. So I think major kudos to you for um, allowing that to be something that can be a vessel of hope and change and positive growth and transformation for people who honestly might need it the most. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I hope so. It's awesome. Well, in getting things wrapped up, I want to ask you what we ask everybody to end the show, which is what does thrive mean to you? And how do you strive to thrive in your everyday life? Ooh, I love this. Makes sense with the name of your podcast. Um, (laughs) I think thrive, what it means to me to thrive is equivalent to health. And I'm not talking about health in the way that most people's minds initially jump to. Um, Although that could be a part of it as well. Absolutely. But I'm talking about the internal health, the health of our souls. Um, So true to what I just talked about with my book. I believe (laughs) that when I am thriving, that my private and my public life match, that there is alignment there. Um, No secrecy. Yeah. That there's not a disconnect there. So integrity is a big part of what I believe leads um, to people thriving and what I want for myself and for everyone around me. Um, what was the second part to that question? How you strive to thrive in your everyday life. Oh, well, I kind of said it, but yeah, Yeah. to live with, to live with integrity. So, um, that's the goal. And again, I don't do it perfectly. I fall short, but, um, one day at a time, that's, that's the path that I'm on. That's the reason that I practice, um, soul care and have, um, continued to be in therapy. (laughs) (laughs) We love that. Where can people find you online to connect with you more? And also, of course, to grab a copy of your, of Soul Care, also your other book space yeah, um, and all that jazz. Yeah. Um, so I'm on, I'm on Instagram is primarily the social media I use. I like want to be on TikTok, but then I'm just like, I can't do another app. So um, Instagram <laughs> at Manda Carpenter. My website is mandacarpenter.com. You can check out the things that I'm offering there. And um yeah, the book is everywhere books are sold. So just go to like a Barnes and Noble website or Amazon website and type in soul care to save your life and you can grab it. It's actually on major sale. I don't know when this episode will, will release, but it's currently on major sale on Amazon for like 12 bucks. So it's a steal. Grab a copy. Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.